Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. I hope you are all doing great and here in the Northern Hemisphere, staying warm. It is getting cold here. For me, it's cold. I run cold. I don't like cold. It has been in the mid 40s. Yeah, the mid 40s in the morning when we wake up the last few days. Today, it's only going to get into the mid 50s. I know some of you who live much further north think I'm probably a total wimp and I will wear that badge proudly. I definitely am. It's the reason I moved to Southern California and I'm probably never leaving. Okay, so I hope you're all staying warm. And if you're down the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you're enjoying some amazing spring weather and going into summer that you all are enjoying your warmth. Okay, so let's just get right to the questions today. Um, So I have a couple of questions about teaching academics to preschoolers, especially during the pandemic, so that's a great one. And then the second question about uh, a toddler who just doesn't take no for an answer, but kind of in a different way than what um, I've been asked about before. Um, Actually, it's a preschooler. I think she's four and a half. So some great questions. So let's get to Julie's question first. She says, I have a question about children's learning, especially in regards to the pandemic. Our daughter is three and a half, and we have kept her home from preschool and daycare since the middle of March when things began to shut down. She was learning her numbers and letters and many other things. However, now that she's home for the foreseeable future, I'm beginning to wonder if she may be missing out academically and socially. We haven't been worried about homeschooling her so far because we figured it's just preschool. She'll learn this stuff eventually. But now I'm beginning to wonder if we should be making the effort to actually teach her things like letters, numbers, and whatever else preschoolers learn. Of course, we don't want her to be behind when she does eventually go back to school, but we also aren't preschool teachers. She's definitely getting a lot of connection time with us and even says she doesn't really miss school because she loves being home with us. As a side note, because her birthday is this month she'll always be amongst the oldest kids in her class and we had anticipated her having to do two years of pre-k before she can officially start kindergarten so there may be a chance for catching up assuming she goes to at least one of these years after the pandemic i've heard these can be the most important years laying the foundation for the rest of their learning but of course there shouldn't be an academic focus in these early years and her preschool daycare is very play focused but they're still learning. So how much should we be concerned with her falling behind or with us teaching her specific things? Any insight is much appreciated. Thanks for all you do. Great question. Julie actually sends in quite a few questions, and this is another great question from Julie. I love it because Julie totally gets it about the play-based learning, about not pushing the academics, that that's really, really important. Here's what I'm going to say. Quick and simple answer, but I'm going to go to... Excuse me, but I'm going to go into a lot more detail. The simple answer is you shouldn't be concerned at all, to be honest, especially about the academic part. You know, it's funny, and I know that preschool is amazing and that they say that there's just a lot of great things that happen in preschool, and it's absolutely true. That basis, that foundation for learning 
is incredible. What it's really about is building that curiosity for learning. And it's so much more about the social part than it actually is about the academic part. Academically, these kids will catch up no problem. If you want to think about, well, I'm probably older than quite a few of you who listen to me, but um, I went to school in I started kindergarten in 1975 in Eugene, Oregon, and we had no preschool back then. I mean, I'm sure there were some, but it really wasn't very common. I don't think most kids went to preschool. You played with your friends. You did a lot of play-based stuff with your friends in the neighborhood, and there really wasn't much academics or you know, being taught concepts before the kindergarten. We learned to read and write and do math and all of that from kindergarten on. And of course, you know, kids learn things just by being around it. So, you know, I'm sure I learned how to count, but I don't think I started learning anything about letters until kindergarten. So that's a quick little detail there. So it's really the social part that is really what's going to build that foundation because having that social aspect of knowing how to communicate and cooperate and work with other children is actually a really strong basis for doing well in kindergarten. But let's get into some, I'm going to go into some more details. Just like Julie said, the truth is that learning academic concepts at this age, and actually learning academic concepts up through about age seven, it's really best if it's done through fun activities and through play. Play-based learning, they learn much, much better through play. So just by playing in general at home with educational type toys, Kids learn so much. They learn a lot. They develop so many skills and understandings and concepts just by playing with those types of toys. So if you have your house um, filled, and I don't say filled, like they, they don't want to be overwhelmed with toys because we've talked about that before too. Too many things and they can't go deep with their play. But if the toys that you have are really quality educational toys in your home, they are going to learn the stuff that they need to learn this early. So one of the best toys in the world are wooden blocks, the basic wooden blocks. Now they're not inexpensive, I will say that, but they are amazing toys. They learn math and science. They learn about big, bigger, and biggest. Even if you aren't explicitly talking about it, they can see that the blocks are different sizes. They can see that one weighs more than the other. They're learning about weight and balance. They're gonna experiment with these blocks. They're gonna place them in certain ways. So this is why and how they're learning about weight and balance. Then the thing falls over because they put too much weight on one side. It's frustrating, but guess what? They're learning something. So there's so many ways to expose a preschooler to academic concepts without even really trying, without needing to teach any of it explicitly. Now you can do that. You can teach academics explicitly in fun ways if you want to, but it's not necessary. So that's why I throw that out there. With their exposure, their naturally curious brains, they will pick up so much. So here's just some examples of things you can do around the house that are pretty simple. Art materials, finger paints, water-based paints and brushes. They learn about creativity, but they also learn about math. They learn about mixing colors in differing amounts and how that yields different shades between the colors that are mixed. So they learn if you mix red and blue, you get purple, but if you get more red than blue, it's going to be a lighter purple or more of a reddish purple. If you do more blue and a little bit of red, it'll be purple, but more blue. That's math. They're learning about math. And then they're getting that creative part of what color do I want to use in this space? So they're going to learn a lot from that. Some large motor skills with arm movements that they're going to get with the finger paints if they're using their whole arms and hands. Also, they'll get some fine motor if they're using brushes. And these are things that preschoolers are preschool preschools and their administrators and teachers are all working on. They're thinking about 
fine motor development, large motor development, and the different activities. But you can definitely mimic this at home. And then they're also getting that with stacking toys. So when they're stacking the blocks, they're getting fine and gross motor movements. Working with Duplo, wooden blocks like I mentioned, some outdoor play. So imaginative play with dresses or using their stuffed animals or trains or whatever types of toys they have and they like to engage with. They're doing that imaginative play that is huge for their development. Their brains are absorbing so much more than you know. Cause and effect, size and shape, colors, placements, area and volume. If you cook with a preschooler, they learn math and science concepts with measuring and mixing. They see how what's in the bowl will change when you add an egg to it or when you add the sugar to it. Now, of course, just reading to our children, this is huge. Just reading at any age, any kind of book, it's a huge opportunity to expose them to learning. They learn about letters and sounds. They learn about that one-on-one correspondence, that each letter has a sound. Just by listening to you read, they're learning about language and grammar and ideas of all kinds. You can read about anything, fantasy, social skills, about kindness and giving, about animals, science, I mean, the world is wide open. So just reading to your preschooler, toddler, school-aged child, half an hour, that's a lot. For an older kid, you might read to them half an hour. To a preschooler or toddler, you're reading 10, 15 minutes a day. They're going to get a lot to that. Doing it a couple times a day, even better. They learn, this is like seriously like the number one way to help your children learn vocabulary and language and reading skills. So reading to your child, which we probably most of us are doing every day anyway. Okay, so in addition to the cognitive and the physical development, I'm going to go back to the social-emotional learning piece. So this is the part that's really important at this age. It's hard to do at home with just one child. So ages three to five, those social skills, those emotion skills are really developing and when they really need the opportunity to practice. They're learning to communicate their needs effectively, what works and what doesn't. They're learning to coordinate with another child. What are we going to build? How tall are we going to build it? What is this going to be? What does the cat do? What is the lion going to do? You know, they learn to compromise and problem solve together and learn each other's ideas and compromise through those. So this is the area where many preschoolers may not be getting much of an opportunity right now. So in-person play is going to be the only way to get this. So this is where I recommend if you feel comfortable or to the level you feel comfortable having a few like one or two playmates that you feel like are being um, safe at the same level that you are that you're comfortable with is to let your preschoolers have a play date once or twice a week. Now older kids can engage together online and they do that a lot but it's also nice for them to have some in-person play dates as well. But preschoolers really, really need that in-person play to develop their social emotional skills. So this is really where you may want to focus. Now, if you're looking for in-depth information about how to engage your preschooler in fun ways of learning and developing all of their skills, I do have a couple of classes. The first is choosing a preschool class. Now, I do have a section in there for preschooling from home. So there are activities and ideas and things you can do that if you decide not not to send your child to preschool. And now that we're in a pandemic, there's a lot of people not sending their child to preschool. So I do cover all the different areas you wanna consider doing at home. And so you can pretty much mimic what they're doing at a preschool. Some of the great things that really good preschool teachers and administrators will do to engage learning, they'll do it in more than one way. They'll pull in more than one thing. And I actually touched on this earlier. So let's just say for instance, they'll plan a physical activity that develops those large motor skills, such as some type of sample obstacle course, like super simple, 
but they'll also work on numbers or letters. So let's just say, for instance, they might take a group of hula hoops, and they're going to place them around in a circle or place them in kind of a squiggly path that the, child, the children need to jump from one hula hoop to the next hula hoop, and there'll be a letter in the middle of it, and they have to jump, and when they get to that, into that hula hoop, they have to say what the letter is, and then if, um, if they know, or for the next lesson, they might say what the sound is, A, A, or C, K. These are ways that they pull this learning together, and they might have to walk across a wooden beam to work on their balance. So they're doing both cognitive learning, language learning, as well as the physical learning. And the great thing about that is that preschoolers also learn really well when they're doing something physically. There's something about the physical movement of the body paired with the cognitive learning skill that helps a lot of preschoolers learn it even better. And there are a lot of what we call kinesthetic learners out there. Those are children who like to learn through movement. So it can help kids learn in many different ways. Actually reminded me of another class you may want to check out called, um, what do I call it? Um, learning theory and oh, uh, multiple intelligence and learning theory. I talk about that. Oh, there's different types of learners and ways to engage different types of learners. It's really more for um, elementary school age kids and beyond, but it also really does um, r relate to preschoolers also, because you may see that early on around age four, you may start to see the ways that your child learns better. So that's a great class also. So I talk about activities and ways to blend learning in that class, choosing a preschool, even though it's, you know, that section is undoing it from home. Also, the classes early reading and writing and early math and science are all about great activities to teach those pre-reading and pre-writing skills and the early math and early science concepts to kids ages three to five up to six. In addition, your developing toddler covers all the skills your child should have by age, ways to work with them to develop those skills. So there's a lot of different classes out there that cover a lot of different areas, lots, lots of handouts you can print out so you can have it about things that you might want to have in the home, activities you might want to do um, and plan out at home so your children can be developing all these different skills in all these different areas. And I do break those down by about six-month increments. In the infant class, it's broken down by three-month increments. The toddler class is by six-month increments. Then um, I think the early preschool, the preschool class, the early part of it is three and a half to four, or sorry, three to three and a half, three and a half to four. Then it goes by a full year. So from four to five, here's what they should be learning. Here's what they should know. So depending on the area of development, there will be big or smaller changes as they age, right? The, the changes happen really rapidly early on, and then they start to um, take a little bit longer. But there's also spurts in different areas. So there's going to be a huge spurt in cognitive development around that three, three and a half, four, five. Lots of, but their physical skills are going to slow down at that point because they've done a lot of their, they're already crawling, walking, running. Those are going to slow down, but the cognitive and the language skills are going to go through big bursts during that age. So you can find those classes at yourvillageonline.com. When we get back after the break, I will answer Amy's question about a preschooler who is always asking for things or complaining about not getting something she wants or not getting to do it long enough. So this will be a fun new topic, which I think a lot of parents can relate. I remember going through this with my kids too. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. 
At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. HomeThreads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets, to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads. Love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now that we're back after the break, it's time to get to Amy's question about her preschooler who often asks for things or asks when she can do them again or complains about not getting enough of something that she wants. So, hi, Erin. Thank you so much for everything you do. I've been listening to your podcast for over two years now, and I've been a member of your classes for a few months, and you've helped me immensely with my four-and-a-half-year-old girl and seven-month-old boy. I have a question regarding my girl's FOMO and persistence in asking for more. Now, Amy gave me a lot of great background about her daughter, but to spare some, save some time, I'm not going to go into it, um, all of that. And it was really helpful for me to know. So what I will say is that, um, like most firstborns, her daughter is super persistent, very intelligent, and very unlikely to just take no for an answer. So Amy's been really working on all of this. So now back to what Amy shared. As you can probably tell, I think she's pretty special. Her determination is admirable, and I'm sure she'll take over the world one day. In the same breath, I find parenting her extremely exhausting. Thank goodness for all your classes and podcast questions, which have helped so much. To respond to her in a way that empowers her, yet puts routine and boundaries in place, which for the most part, she will accept and follow. 
Lockdown was a particularly challenging time for me as I could not provide her with the stimulation and entertainment that she requires, especially with a new baby. She does thrive on attention, and even for new faces, she'll start lengthy conversations and ask them to engage with her. For my question, I have been a little stumped at how to respond when she complains about things she does not have, wants more of, or wants to keep doing. So for example, if we're on the way back from the zoo or an indoor playground, she'll ask me about when we can go back. Why did we have to go? Why can't we go back now? Can we go back tomorrow? What about the next day? What about next week? Why? I use a lot of techniques you've offered in your other classes, such as with the whining, asking her to try again with her kind voice until the tone is changed and she's using manners, which works. But I still find myself feeling deflated and frustrated that even after a full day or morning running around, it doesn't seem to be enough for her. Same can go with things like ice cream or cake. She'll often ask for more over and over. Note that she rarely has treat foods like this except at a birthday party or once a week she chooses a treat after her swimming lessons. So even when the answer is no and I don't give in, she'll continue to ask for things on repeat. I often end up ignoring her or changing the subject after giving the answer and the reason why she cannot. Overall, for things that she knows are coming or that are predictable for her, she accepts the one cookie or the 30 minutes of TV and is happy to move on. But if it's unpredictable or outside of the routine, she'll keep asking almost in a way to test that new boundary. Same goes for things. I do a lot of my shopping online, and if a package arrives, she immediately asks if it's for her. And if not, she gets sad and whiny. I never get packages for me. Where's my blank? I want a blank, insert said item. If we tell her it's someone's birthday, she'll start to whine. But I want to have a birthday. When's my birthday? How come everyone else has a birthday before me? I should also mention, so I'm probably not the best with the whiny toddler voice, so maybe that's a good thing. I do my best. I should also mention that her birthday is a week before Christmas, so once a year she gets a lot of presents in a short space of time. Although I try not to spoil her with new things often, it just happens that she needs new shoes or clothes or things like coloring books or crafts throughout the year too, and I'm not sure how to get her these things without her expecting she should just get new things, and how to help her to be appreciative and grateful for them. This was particularly challenging last year as her baby brother was born a week before her own birthday. And so she spent a lot of time in December opening his presents as well and being given additional presents because she was a new big sister. The other area this manifests is, is when we have visitors. She expects and wants constant entertaining from myself or them. It can become very frustrating and she will rarely go off by herself to play or even sit quietly for more than a minute next to us coloring, etc. For her one to be a part of the conversation or for us to play with her. How do you suggest I respond to her in a moment when she starts to go down the spiral of despair and scarcity? How can I prepare her for the arrival of new things? Are there any specific classes you would suggest? Any tips for my sassy prime minister in the making? Thank you so much for all you do. My family and I appreciate it. Warm regards, Amy. So this was awesome. Lots of great detail. I think we've all dealt with this. I dealt with this a lot when my kids were younger. Um, so this definitely happens. It definitely is a, a big part of the temperament too. And Amy went into great detail about the temperament early on. So, you know, that persistent temperament is just a big part of this. So there's positives and negatives, obviously, to that persistent temperament. And it's really exciting. It's really great to watch those children flourish, but they can be exhausting. Just like Amy said, it can be very exhausting dealing with this sometimes. So, so first I want to just say that Amy, is, you're managing this very well, setting boundaries, not giving in, working on the whining, and I'm really glad it's working in the moment, and know that soon she will get better and better with all of it. I'm going to add some stuff here. So 
and I'm going to give a lot of little tips because there was a lot in here. So first, engaging in conversation about what she liked about the place that she just went, because you gave a lot of different um, ways that she manifests this. So I'm going to talk about all these different scenarios as much as I can. Um, so if you just went to the park, you just went to uh, an indoor play center, you just went to the zoo, and she starts asking when she can go back. Start having a conversation about it, because here's what I love about kids like this, is that they just had a great time, which is awesome, right? Like, I wish I had such a great time at these little um, things that we go do, and so it's really great that they're so excited about it. So helping them connect with that, uh, with what they're, what brings them joy. So um, really bringing out that conversation. I'm so glad you had such a great time at the zoo today. I love to see you know exactly what makes you happy. What about it made it so fun? What was your favorite thing there? Is there anything you didn't get to do that you'd like to do the next time? So if it's the zoo, what was your favorite animal? What did you really like? Or tell me what you liked about the giraffes. You can really have a conversation. It's changing the subject a little bit, but it's also what you're doing there is you're helping her change the focus on to reliving those memories and enjoying the experience again in the drive on the way home rather than, oh my gosh, now I don't have it. When do I get to do it again? You're also teaching her some gratitude. She's going to learn gratitude through this conversation. So that will help with that gratitude piece as well. So believe it or not, there are a ton of great life skills that are going to happen in this conversation, right? So again, Pinpointing what brings us joy, reliving memories, bringing out more joy, getting excited about the next time with some anticipation. Now, I know we don't want to give a time frame for anything. We don't absolutely know when we can do it again because I know how these persistent kids are. They will remind us next week or next month, even at four and a half, even if we say, you know what, we'll go next month or we'll try to go next month. When next month gets close, they will start to bug us every day. You said we're going to the zoo next month. Well, it's next month. When are we going to go? Are we going tomorrow? Are we going next week? Huh? Huh? So I know you don't want to give that promise, and that's okay. You want to be as honest as you can when they ask about when. I know it's a really fun place, and we will go back again, but I can't say when right now. There are so many other fun places to go see and enjoy that I really want to take you to. So we're going to check out another new place next week or next month, because you may be able to make a promise about that, right? You may know that you're going to a new park next week or that you're going to go check out the beach next month. If you know that, or you know that you're going to put it on the schedule and this is something you do every two weeks or every three weeks, something like that, then you can let her know about that. And then she can look forward to something else different to go see or do. So this way you're giving an idea of when another fun outing is gonna happen, but you're not promising about this same one. So let's talk about the cake. Same thing about the cake. So you can talk about the cake. What is it about the cake that was so good that she wants some more of? You know, was it her favorite flavor? Was it the icing? Was it the decorations on the top? Just having a conversation about that will very likely relieve that tension, that super focus on, I gotta have more cake. Um, And then when she asks again, if she's asking for more, I know the cake is really good and you will have cake the next time we go to a party. But for today, one piece is plenty. Cake is fun, but we also want to make sure we have room for the other stuff that actually makes our body stronger too. Then if she keeps asking about any of these things, whatever the situation is, if she keeps asking, you can set the boundary with some understanding and you may be doing this. I know cake is good, but I already answered your question, so I'm not going to answer it again. I know the zoo was really fun, but I already answered your question. I'm not going to answer it again. Then you can, just like you're doing, change the subject or ignore it. 
Now you know you've been respectful, you've given a nice full answer, you've engaged in conversation, you've shown that you understand by saying, I know cake is good, or I know the zoo was a really fun trip today, I had a lot of fun too. Then you're setting the boundary. And she will learn that when you say, I'm done, I'm done engaging, it means I'm done. Soon they will stop because they're not going to get any, um, they're not going to get any, oh my gosh, they're not going to get any reinforcement for it. So you're doing a great job. Keep at it. She will figure it out. She will stop doing this and stop pushing for this stuff. And the whining, you know, keep working on it. You're doing a great job just the way you have. This will get better. It sounds like she's starting to get it because she's fixing it. But um, it'll just take a little more time for kids to realize that they're not going to get an answer from us when they whine. And then they have to go back and redo it. So that effort soon becomes not worth it. So they just, they start to remember earlier. Sometimes they'll stop themselves in the middle of the whine. So you'll start to hear that too, where they'll start it with a whiny tone and then they'll fix it in the middle being like, oh, that's right. She's not going to answer me. So I want to touch on, it sounds like you've already watched the temperament class, but just a couple areas to go over again might be the persistence chapter. Because, you know, you can really work with kids on their persistence because it's a great quality. It's a great trait. You will probably never have to worry about her out on her own in the world at school. Once she grows up, goes off to college, um, chooses a career, she'll be amazing. Um, But also check the general mood. But there's a particular general mood that seems to affect the gratitude piece. And that is the realistic mood type. So a child with a realistic mood type tends to focus on... Sometimes they call it a negative mood type, but I don't really like that one. I don't like the word negative. It's not that they're negative. It's just that they they don't always see the positive. Let's just say that. They don't naturally gravitate towards showing gratitude for things. So having her, like I said, having her point out what she enjoyed in the experience, what she liked about the park or the zoo or the cake or the toys or her friend's house, again, will help her tune into that gratitude. And then watching that about the realistic mood and how you can help a child with that will also help. Um, There's a couple other points in Amy's email I wanted to talk about. One is children who really struggle to entertain themselves and they want attention. This, unfortunately, this, unfortunately, is not really much you can do with that. I don't want to say that. This is just a personality thing. This is a temperament thing. There are just a lot of kids, actually, aren't very good about entertaining themselves and they do want to be a part of the adult conversation. When they get older, they will. When they hit about seven To eight, you can say, we're having an adult conversation. I need you to go find something to do. But unfortunately, at four and a half, it's not something you'll be able to do. What you can do is set respectful boundaries around it. I'm talking to um, Clarissa right now. I need you to wait your turn. You can set some respectful boundaries around it, but you won't probably be able to get her to go and sit and color for longer or um, go leave the room and go do something unless you have something specifically set up for her like that's the time she's going to watch her tv show for half an hour then you might be able to get that time without her trying to butt in and then the last area I wanted to talk about that Amy asked about is buying new things for kids so you know they're going to need clothes and shoes So this is not an area of overindulgence. If you're buying things because they need them and they don't have like 20,000 dresses in there when they don't even get a chance to wear it and still got tags on it before they grow out of it, then that's some overindulgence. But if they need a new pair of sneakers or they need a new dress or they need some new shorts because they're running out or they're growing out of their clothes, absolutely, this is not spoiling. It's not overindulging. Totally fine and important to buy them these things that they need. The same goes for even, you know, toys, certain toys. If they're growing to an age and you want them to have it, the stuff I just talked about in the last one, a a good set of wooden blocks, 
Go get that good set of wooden blocks. Don't wait till the birthday. They need some more art supplies. Go get those art supplies. There's so much that they're learning and doing with the paints and the paintbrushes and the coloring and the drawing and they're learning the representation and they're learning how to draw houses and they're learning how to use color and how to be creative. But also, like I said, the math skills, by all means, get them that stuff. Don't feel like you're overindulging your child at all. And actually, I do have a class on overindulgence that I am, it's actually ready to go. And especially with the holidays coming up, I know this is something a lot of parents wonder about. So I'm going to get that class um, finished up, cleaned up, and off to Ashley, my graphic designer, to create that. We should probably be able to get that uh, put out there pretty quickly. So I'll get that put up. If you're, uh, if you're dealing with whining, there are the two classes, one for whining kids ages five and under, one for whining six and over. Of course, all the positive discipline classes with all the ways to help kids make better behavior choices through guiding, coaching, and teaching without resorting to yelling, nagging, and threatening. So to see all of the 58 classes, go to yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.